All right, thank you, worship team. Okay, this morning, my name is Leah Garland, and I'm excited to be back with you. This morning, we are going to explore the idea of going all in. Do any images pop up in your mind as I say we're going to go all in? Anything that kind of comes to you that thinking, oh, I've gone all in here, or I've gone all in there. Certainly we can think of times where we haven't gone all in, but think about some ideas where you have gone all in. And I want to um, bring you on a little journey with me as I explored this, this passage that I will be honest is a difficult passage. And if you want the more theological sermon, Pastor Kevin's got it over there, but that's not going to be me today. I apologize if you came thinking I was going to be bringing that. But um, I want to bring up a first image of when I thought about going all in, I thought of my 11-year-old daughter who's back here. And this is our Kayla Joy, and it was so fitting that today is Disability Awareness Sunday. And as I look at Kayla, and I think about the people in my life that go all in, there's something about her. I don't know if it's that she has a disability or that she has Down syndrome, whatever it might be. But what I see in Kayla is that she doesn't care what goes on around her. She loves people. So, I mean, it's not that she doesn't care. But when she praises Jesus, she doesn't care who's around her looking at her. She is loud and that is all good. But when I look at her, she is living life to the full. So Kayla Joy was my first example. And then I want to bring you to the next image. And this is my mom in her final um, couple of weeks that she was with us a couple of years ago. She went to be with Jesus. And as I looked at her life in her final three weeks after her diagnosis of an aggressive form of ALS, my mom lived with the hope of heaven. She wasn't stuck in the here and now and what happened in my life that didn't bring others to Christ. What she was focused on was where she was going and who she was leaving behind, but it was joy, absolute joy. She was going all in and it was beautiful. But now I want you to think about where most of us are, between 11 and near our death. Most of us fall within that continuum of Okay, but what do we do right here? A childhood, you can really have some innocence about you, even though I think Kayla will probably keep that all her life. And when you're to the time of your death, the rest of life has gone away and you're looking toward that. But where are we at in this middle, in this continuum where we're busy, lives are busy, we're going here and there, and where does Jesus fall in that? Do we have time for him? In a few weeks back, Crystal brought the idea of a coach and a team. And I loved that idea because today I want to be your cheerleader. And no, I promised my husband I wasn't going to do a chant or a cheer up here. Um, but I want you to think about as I go through this passage, again, it is a tough passage. It's calling us to live this exemplary life in this time of exile. But I want you to think about how I'm gonna be kind of your cheerleader. You're gonna be my team and we're gonna be in this all together. We're all on very different points of the spectrum, but, but come with me as I um, take you to the idea of going all in and bringing others in. We'll start from our passage in 1 Peter and um, 1 Peter 2 verse 11. You can turn to that in your Bibles, but I will be honest, I'm gonna be reading from the Passion Translation. Felt like it was a little bit... Um, kinder and a little bit um, easier for me to, to read to you today. But go in with this lens. Um, what we're going to do as I read through the passage, Michelle's going to pull up a slide that talks about the main points from this passage. And so as I read through this passage, and forgive me because this is a lot of, a lot of reading, um, 
but kind of pull out the ideas as we're going through. So abstaining from, the, from following sinful passions. You'll hear that at the beginning of the passage. And if you want to follow along in your Bible, or if you have an electronic version, go ahead and, and pull up the Passion Translation for our First Peter passage. But these are the words of Jesus. My divinely loved friends, since you are resident aliens and foreigners or exiles in this world, I appeal you to divorce yourselves from the evil desires that wage war within you. Live honorable lives as you mix with unbelievers, even though they accuse you of being evildoers. For they will see your beautiful works and have a reason to glorify God in the day he visits us. In order to honor the Lord, you must respect and defer to the authority of every human institution, whether it be the highest ruler or the governors he puts in place to punish lawbreakers and to praise those who do what's right. For it is God's will for you to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing what is right. As God's loving servants, you should live in complete freedom, but never use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Recognize the value of every person and continually show love to every believer. Live your lives with great reverence and in holy awe of God. Honor your rulers. Those who are servants, submit to the authority of those who are your masters. Not only to those who are kind and gentle, but even to those who are hard and difficult. You find God's favor by deciding to please God even when you endure hardships because of unjust suffering. For what merit is it to endure mistreatment for wrongdoing? Yet if you are mistreated when you do what is right and you faithfully endure it, this is commendable before God. In fact, you are called to live this way because Christ also suffered in your place, leaving you his example for you to follow. He never sinned and he never spoke deceitfully. When he was verbally abused, he did not return with an insult. When he suffered, he would not threaten retaliation. Jesus faithfully entrusted himself into the hands of God who judges righteously. He himself carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we would be dead to sin and live for righteousness. Our instant healing flowed from his wounding. You were like sheep that continually wandered away, but now you have returned to the true shepherd of your lives, the kind guardian who lovingly watches over your souls. In chapter three, the marriage relationship. Let your true beauty come from your inner personality, not a focus on the external. For lasting beauty comes from a gentle and peaceful spirit, which is precious in God's sight and is much more important than the outward adornment of elaborate hair, jewelry, and fine clothes. And now let me speak to us wives. Be devoted to your husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word of God, your kind conduct may win them over without you saying a thing. For when they observe your pure, godly life before God, it will impact them deeply. Holy women of long ago who had set their hopes in God beautified themselves with, selves with lives lived in deference to their own husband's authority. For example, our mother Sarah devoted herself to her husband Abraham and even called him master. And you have become her daughters when you do what is right without fear and intimidation. Husbands, you in turn must treat your wives with tenderness, viewing them as feminine partners who deserve to be honored, for they are co-heirs with you of the divine grace of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. 
And then we'll turn to Jeremiah 29, verse four through seven, kind of our banner passage during this, this series on exile and flourishing in exile. So Jeremiah 29, verse four through seven, and I am coming back to the NIV version. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for if it, for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Wow, what a tall order. Look at these things. This is tough stuff. We're called to excellence, to lead an exemplary life by abstaining from following sinful passions, to maintain good conduct among the Gentiles. For the Lord's sake, be subject to government authorities, even when they are maybe in the wrong. Be subject to masters. Wives, be subject to your husbands. And husbands, live considerably with your wives. Wow, tough stuff. So what I'm going to do this morning is to kind of break that down and, and see how we can really apply that to our lives. Um, a number of scholars um, share that the pivotal passage from this entire text is really the first two verses. And from the NIV version, from 1 Peter 2, verse 11 and 12, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. So my simplified version of that is we're going to go all in and bring others in. So let's, let's take a look at um, Tom's levels. He had the four level, levels that he's been sharing about over the past um, little while. And I know Bristol brought us a beautiful image a couple of weeks ago, and I needed to even simplify that more. So this is my very simplified version of the four levels. And um, so what we see at the core, and I know it's kind of small, but what we see at the core of this circle in the yellow is our personal relationship with God. So that's really at the core of our circle. That's our level one. And then we get into level two. That's our Christian community, those that, that are surrounding us, um, those around us here and in the world. And then we get to level three, that's our temporal world. And that temporal world is gonna be those that are outside of our Christian community, um, though they might tie in and um, be a part of levels one and two. But the temporal world is going to be politics, it's gonna be media, it's going to be the government, things that aren't necessarily within the Christian community and a lot of times are not. And then level four is the cosmos. And so we have the eternal spiritual, spiritual world there overseeing it all. But, but I want to have us focus on that core, in the center of it, because if that core is not right with God, there is no way we're going to move through these four levels in a way to move God's kingdom and to lead an exemplary life to bring God, others to God. And so as I was trying to make sense of this, my husband um, suggested this book called Crazy Love. And Crazy Love by Francis Chan, if you've not read it, it's really, really good. But as I read chapter four, it's the lukewarm person. 
And I was battling in my heart. I've got this leading and exemplary life and I've got this lukewarm person. And in all honesty, I felt like this lukewarm person is over here and the exemplary life is over here. And most of the time in my life, I'm over here in that lukewarm person. And so let me explain a little bit more. If you're familiar with the book, you probably know what I'm talking about. But lukewarm people are half-hearted, they're distracted, and partially committed. Chan says, lukewarm people do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without it requiring too much of them. They ask, how far can I go before it's considered a sin? Instead of how can I keep myself pure as a temple of the Holy Spirit? They ask, how much do I have to give versus how much can I give? Lukewarm people are continually concerned about playing it safe and being slaves to the God of control. This focus on safe living keeps them from sacrificing and risking for God. Lukewarm people probably drink less. They swear less often. You know, but they're probably not that different from your typical non-believer. They equate their partially sanitized lives with holiness, but they couldn't be more wrong. Lukewarm people are more concerned about the rules and how we stay within those rules rather than focusing on the love of Jesus. And I don't know if any of you were here, I know some of you were, within our Acts series. And the Acts series really had us look at, even though there was a a ton to it, but had us looking at living this life according to the Ten Commandments. And if you followed those Ten Commandments, then boom, you're into heaven. But if you don't, you step over into this other place. Whoa, that's heavy. You've gone maybe to hell now. (laughs) And that's... I can't believe I said that. But, um, so then we're, we're looking at the shame that comes from, from crossing that level. And instead, when Jesus came, he pushed all that away. Not that those aren't still good commandments to, to kind of live by, but he said it's by grace alone that you find Jesus, that you find freedom. He said, now it's not those rules that convict you. It's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you that's going to convict you. And it's not done out of rules and shame. It's done out of love. And that's what I want to bring to you today. All of this is out of love. Jesus wants us to experience freedom in him because of love. And as a few examples, as we look at the lukewarm people, I wanted to just give you a few examples of where God's called me. Now, there certainly are many others that I'm not going to share today. But in kind of the more easier understood examples, I think of in my car. I'll be honest, I took my Jesus fish off my car when I realized I wasn't really representing him well as I was driving. I tend to go the speed limit. No, not the speed limit. I look at the speed limit and that guides how far I can go. So I'm going in the 55, I'm probably going, you know, at least nine or 10, or usually eight or nine, because 10, then I think, okay, maybe I'll get caught and pulled over. Yeah, I'm an aggressive driver. I'm not the best Christian to to be speaking to others about how we should be driving in the Christian world. But I've had a few instances as I was preparing for this message. I've heard Pastor Kevin say he sets his speed limit or his cruise control on the speed limit. And I'm like, I'm going to try that. 
so fun. I mean, maybe you guys are probably a little bit better in your cars than I do. I've had it going down 163, coming back from Des Moines, and I set it at, at 65. People are all passing beside me, and I've held up traffic, not intentionally. I'm that one that used to annoy me, and okay, they still do if I'm in that other mode, but... Um, and then we'll take a look at another example as we look at like levels one and two. Think about your personal life, your life with Jesus. And there are times when I have maybe a little lie, maybe a little omission that I think, eh, you know, it's okay, we'll get by this. And, but if I leave that little omission or that little lie unchecked, it blows up and blows up and continues on until you come right with Jesus. And um, I've certainly had those kind of things. I, I justify it. I look at that person over there. Ooh, at least I'm not that bad. That's not where God's calling us to be. Um, Chan says we are all messed up human beings and no one is totally immune to the behaviors described in the previous examples. However, there is a difference between a life that is characterized by these sorts of mentalities and habits and a life that is in the process of being radically transformed. So I ask you, do you find yourself in some of these lukewarm tendencies? Is this maybe where you're seeing yourself? Is this the kind of life that God is calling us into? Does he want us to be mediocre in our Christianity? Is he calling us to, to lead this lukewarm life? Is that going to bring others in? Is that going to reflect the love of Jesus? Did he send his one and only son to die on the cross for us to live an okay life? Absolutely not. Galatians 4 verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Brothers and sisters, we are God's children. He delights in us. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus says, said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Can we honestly say, as we look at Psalm 61, can we honestly say these verses from one through five? And we'll pull up a screen here. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And I'm going to take a look back at the levels again. And as you look at the levels, as we've talked about, Christendom is starting to go by the wayside, where we were, where Christianity was really affecting politics and media. Their Christianity was kind of strewn throughout the world. And now we're going to be moving out. And so, or we have been moving out. We're going to be on the marginalized section. And so as we see the culture, the temporal world continue to grow, we are seeing that today in media. Where's Christ in the media? Where's Christ in politics? It's getting fewer and fewer um, 
less and less. Yeah. So the temporal world, as that grows, we need that center of our levels to be growing along with it. And so God is not calling us to be comfortable because if he did, We'd stay in our little lukewarm tendencies, but he's calling us out of that. Um, my second book that I'm using for this morning is this, The Church in Exile. Pastor Kevin had given this um, to those of us teaching here. And so it's Living in Hope After, After Christendom by Beach. And what Beach says, Daniel embodies Jeremiah's call for Israel to settle and work for the benefit of their new home. In this book, we see Daniel and his companions who serve both king and country, yet without compromising their ultimate commitment of covenant purity and faithfulness to God. So I'm going to bring you a little example from Daniel. Now, in all honesty, I didn't want to share this because I knew I was going to butcher the names. But Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, okay that's it. I'm not going to say their names in again. But, but they were being called in Daniel to, to follow the king's edict, to, to bow down to this gold image of the king. And what we see in Daniel is what these friends did. They looked at they're level one, and they looked at their level three. Level one said, no, we don't bow down to images. Level three said, yes, you must, or you will be facing death. But they knew at the center of their levels, they had to be in right relationship with Jesus. And so they knew they could not bow down to that, that image. So what did they do? They were facing death in the fiery furnace. And I love what, what one of the companions said as they faced this challenge. They said, if the God we serve is able to deliver us, then he will deliver us from the blazing furnace and from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, I love that. We want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But even if he does not, I love their faith. I love their right relationship with Jesus. And when the doors were opened, the three men were in there and there was a fourth man. There was a fourth image of an angel that was protecting them with God. Those three men were going all in and bringing others in. It changed what happened in that land. Then I want to bring you to an example from today. I know that many of you have seen what's going on in the news with um, the accidental shooting of this, this man. And um, I'm going to bring you to a video. It's about three minutes long. It's Brant Jean, 18-year-old Brant Jean. And probably many of you see, have seen this video. Brant Jean is in the courtroom and looking at the person who has, has accidentally shot his brother. Look at this and think about how Brant Jean is going all in and thus bringing others in. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die 
just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. years old, living in a time of exile, living in a time where people said, absolutely not. We don't do that. Wow. What you don't see in this video is how he was bringing others in as he was going all in. The judge went into her chambers, brought out her Bible, gave it to Amber Geiger and said, what my my." Instruction for you now is for the next month, read this. And she brought her to the passage, the verse of John 3, 16, and said, this is for you. Beautiful. How would my life change if I actually thought of each person I came into contact with as Christ? What about the person driving so slowly in the left-hand lane, holding up traffic? Or the driver who doesn't use his turning signal, maybe cuts me off. I'm not really seeing him as Jesus. What about the person at school or work who talks about you behind your back? What about the girl who posts something on social media that threatens to diminish your self-worth? Or the person who accidentally shot your sibling? 
People of God, we need to be individuals and communities who are living so far beyond reproach in this time of exile. We need to be so strong in level one so that we can push against things that are coming against our beliefs and we can flourish between these other three levels, even in the midst of becoming marginalized. And so I I invite you to look at our action steps. Um, I've got a, a three here. I want you to, this week, kind of identify which lukewarm tendencies are most common to you. Kind of go through this week and think about, okay, where am I maybe not representing Jesus or going all in with Jesus this week? Number two, what's one thing you can do to stretch yourself this week to abandon one of these tendencies and go deeper into a relationship with Jesus? And number three, who in your life today needs them to see you as Christ? I'd like to end with a a prayer from Emily P. Freeman. Many of you are are familiar with her. Um, In all honesty, I feel like there's some sense of uneasiness. I'm feeling a little bit of fear. There's kind of like, ooh, we're moving into this marginalized section and whoa, I don't know if I'm strong enough to do that. Where is my relationship with God and can we withstand that? Certainly I'm not strong enough, but my God is. So I invite you into this prayer. Father, you told Abraham to leave his country, his people, and his father's household, but you didn't tell him exactly where he was going. You told Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, but you didn't give him a five-week plan. You told Mary she would have a son and call his name Jesus, but she wasn't offered assurance of his safety or guarantees that her life would go smoothly. You, God, are not a God who offers clear steps or clear direction. But you invited Abraham outside and told him to look at the stars. So shall your offspring be. You gave Moses a vision of a promised land flowing with milk and honey. You whispered salvation for the whole world in Mary's ear. No, God, you never promised clarity or direction. But you always gave a hopeful vision And you always promise your presence. You say, I will go with you wherever you go. Do not be afraid and go all in. Amen.